Welcome back to The Emily Show. Spooky season is upon us, and I absolutely love it. But you know what I don't love? Ticketmaster. Yep. And all of their fees. Nothing is scarier than trying to buy a concert ticket and not knowing exactly how much those fees are going to be. It shouldn't be a surprise to you that they're getting sued a whole bunch, because if anyone can take down Ticketmaster, it is the Swifties. And I am wishing them Godspeed. Godspeed, Swifties. First of all, you've you've successfully, I think, incubated a new romance with Travis Kelsey, and you are going to single-handedly break up the monopoly nonsense that is going on with Ticketmaster, and those are the lawsuits we are talking today. And by lawsuits, I mean lawsuits. There are multiple. We're going to check in with the one that I have covered and then talk about what is going on in the other lawsuits and a big win in court that Ticketmaster is real salty about. We love to see it. Let's get into it. Welcome to The Emily Show. I'm Emily D. Baker, the internet's go-to legal analyst and big fan of the cursey words. I've been a licensed attorney for over 17 years. I'm a former prosecutor, and I break down the legal side of pop culture and entertainment stories we can't stop talking about. We should just get into it. Let's go. Thank you to our sponsor, Thrive Cosmetics. It's a travel week for me, and I do not travel without my brilliant eye brighteners. I take them everywhere. The thing that I have always forgotten about is that the bottom of it comes out for a sharpener, which was really helpful for me today when I was like, wait a second, I need to sharpen this up a little before I do my makeup. These are so fantastic. They not only make your eyes look brighter, but they are easy to apply, smudge proof, and look, I basically love makeup crayons. They come in 16 different shades. I also love that every product purchase Thrive donates products and funds to keep communities thriving and they're cruelty-free vegan products. So you know you're using great quality ingredients for great quality makeup. And if you want to get a discount trying that for yourself, go to thrivecosmetics.com slash for 20% off your first order. That's 20% off your first order at Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash Lawnard. Let's get back to today's episode. Y'all know that I love going to live music. I talk about it frequently. Sometimes I end up in the wrong state when trying to get to shows, but that is neither here nor there. I love going to see live music. It has become even more accessible distance-wise since moving to Tennessee. However, Ticketmaster is making it almost impossible to reasonably find tickets. And part of the giant monopoly that is Ticketmaster and Live Nation has made it all the more difficult. It used to be that you just bought Dave Matthews tickets through Live Nation, but then Live Nation and Ticketmaster became the same company, and now it's all a mess. At least that's my opinion. So am I deeply invested in this lawsuit? Yes. Do I feel like the Swifties can make this happen? Yes. They're the right amount of focused, dedicated, and pissed off. And that I am absolutely here for. It's what you need in a class action suit. You need focused, dedicated, and a certain level of mad 
to see these things out. And there are multiple class action lawsuits being brought specifically over the handling of Taylor Swift's presale tickets for her past Eras tour. But also there are monopoly cases and one case alleging violations of the Securities and Exchange Act. Why do I bring these cases all up together? Well, they are all now ending up mostly with the same federal judge. And that federal judge just handed down this month, October 2023, some really big rulings that are really good for the plaintiffs in the future cases, really going to make things more difficult for Ticketmaster. And I'm not sad. I'm not sad. I don't like Ticketmaster. So we're going to evaluate these lawsuits, what the allegations are with regard to the Taylor Swift, the Swifties lawsuits, and then what is going on with the lawsuit that has had this huge ruling. That is a monopoly lawsuit that was filed before all the Taylor Swift nonsense. But all these lawsuits are kind of are going to get bolstered together because the ruling in the what I'm going to be calling kind of the controlling case or the monopoly case, the ruling in that case is impacting every other Ticketmaster lawsuit and will impact the other Ticketmaster lawsuits across the country. Here's why. Ticketmaster is trying to force everyone into arbitration, not going to jury trial. And by Ticketmaster throughout the podcast, I'm going to say Ticketmaster. Ticketmaster Live Nation are the same company, so same, same. But Ticketmaster is going to try to force everyone into arbitration. If they go to arbitration, you don't have the same class action, and you're not going to see these huge jury awards that come with punitive damages. Remember, the compensatory damages are like compensating you for the harm. And in a a fee case, really saying I was charged outrageous fees on a ticket, how much can you really get back for compensation for what you're out for those fees? it's going to not be much more than a couple hundred dollars for those fees. What Ticketmaster, I believe, is really concerned about is these punitive damages. When a jury gets a hold of this case and goes, hey, Ticketmaster, fuck you, though, because you make it impossible for us to buy tickets. Scalpers get them. We all end up paying exaggerated prices on the resale market because the system doesn't work for people who want to buy tickets to actually be able to buy tickets. And I think Ticketmaster knows that most jurors across the country are going to have had some sort of experience with Ticketmaster that might not have been a positive one. I think that the punitive damages is what they are really worried about if these things go to a jury trial. But Ticketmaster has, through all of these cases, been trying to push them into arbitration. And that has largely been successful until now. Ticketmaster changed some of their arbitration provisions and then got blocked by a federal judge saying that because of the change of provision and because they didn't give notice appropriately of the change of provision and because the change of provision is so draconian that that change is not going to be allowed. And that judge is blocking Ticketmaster from pushing things into arbitration. So because of that one ruling, we are going to see all of the other cases falling in line behind that, where you might not see Ticketmaster successfully pulling these class actions out of federal court and out of the jury trial process 
into arbitration. And that is a very good thing for the plaintiffs and the class here, and a very potentially much more expensive thing for Live Nation Ticketmaster. And remember, Live Nation Ticketmaster is in arbitration on all of the Astroworld cases. They are in arbitration on other massive cases. But what the Swifties want and what the plaintiff's lawyers want is for these things to go before a jury where they can stack up potentially more damages. So first, we're going to take a look at what's alleged in the Taylor Swift-related lawsuits. Then we are going to take a look at the judicial smackdown of the arbitration clauses and why the judge is blocking those from going to arbitration or denying Ticketmaster's request. Judge Wu has come in and been like, I am disinclined to acquiesce to your request because you don't get to change the rules in the middle of the game. So, um, all right, let's check out the end game for the Swifties on this, shall we? The first lawsuit we are looking at is the Stryoff lawsuit, and I'm referring to them by the named plaintiff's last name to keep them separate because there are multiple lawsuits and they're in California, so we can't even be like the California one because there are so many of them. So the Stryoff class action was filed in December of 2022. We're going to take a look at the allegation there and then the current posture of the case. So let's take a look at the complaint first, and then we're going to look at what's happening. This is the complaint filed uh, December 2022 from a plaintiff on behalf of the class, Michelle Steryoff, I think, S-T-E-R-I-O-F-F, against Live Nation and Ticketmaster. Nature of the action. Plaintiff brings this consumer protection and antitrust class action lawsuit against defendants based on defendants' anti-competitive and misleading conduct with respect to their handling of the pre-sale, sale, and resale of concert tickets of Taylor Swift's Eras Tour. Based the Eras Tour. Based on information and belief, defendants have effectuated an anti-competitive scheme aimed at eliminating and or substantially minimizing all competition in the markets for both primary ticketing services and, more recently, secondary ticketing services. Based on information and belief, the central components of defendant's scheme are as follows. Defendants eliminate competition in the primary ticketing service market by coercing major concert venue operators to enter into long-term exclusive contracts with Ticketmaster. Because Ticketmaster has exclusive agreements with virtually all venues capable of accommodating large concerts, Taylor Swift and other popular musicians have no choice but to sell their tickets through Ticketmaster, and their fans have no choice but to purchase tickets through Ticketmaster's primary ticketing platform. Second, defendants attempt to eliminate competition in the secondary or resale ticketing service market by utilizing technology that limits a primary or secondary purchaser from transferring tickets unless those tickets are resold through Ticketmaster's secondary ticketing platform. As a result of this scheme, over 70% of tickets for major concert venues in the United States are sold through Ticketmaster's online platforms at monopolistic prices. Taylor Swift, an 11-time Grammy Award winner and one of the best-selling musicians of all time and Taylor Swift management, contracted with Ticketmaster for venues and ticketing services for the Eras Tour. 
The tour will be her first since 2018 and will be, quote, a journey through all of the musical eras of her career, meaning every one of Swift's 10 albums, six of which have either been released or re-recorded since her 2018 tour, are expected to be representative. Footnote one. Oh, and then it's just a link to articles. Now, remember, this was written before the era's tour started. <laughs> before the movie was released. Before all of it. As one of the most, if not the most popular musicians in the world, Taylor Swift had millions of fans who attempted to purchase tickets to her highly anticipated The Eras Tour. On a side note from this, the day that tickets went on sale, we were streaming, I believe it was the Murdoch trial. And so many of you were in the chat talking about the fact that you had gotten uh, pre-sale codes and availability codes to be able to buy tickets and were in line for hours waiting for the ability to buy tickets to varying degrees of success or not. But I remember how long that day was of people constantly updating their ticket buying journey in the chat. On or about November 1st, 2021, Ticketmaster announced that ticket sales for the Eras Tour would begin on November 15th. The sale, which was expected to face, quote, extremely high demand, <laughs> would be broken into three phases. One, the November 15th, Presale two, the November 16th Capital One presale three, the November 18th general public sale. Based on information and belief, Ticketmaster intentionally and purposely misled millions of fans into believing it would prevent bots and scalpers from participating in the presales. However, millions of fans were unable to purchase tickets during the presale and the Capital One presale, due in large part to unprecedented website traffic caused by Ticketmaster, allowing 14 million unverified. Ticketmaster users and a staggering number of bots to participate in pre-sales. Where they are estimating the staggering number of bots is from business.ticketmaster.com from a article released by them. Like they didn't know that was going to happen. I just wonder, footnote, side note, sidebar, I just wonder, and this is, I think, what a lot of these allegations are getting to, by allowing bots to purchase the tickets, by not cracking down on this technologically, and then forcing you to resell it through the secondary market on their own platform, Ticketmaster is making more money by taking a percentage of the secondary market ticket rate that is far more than the artist's than the artist sets. So the artist can set their ticket price, but has no control over the resale market. The resale market is completely governed by Ticketmaster because you can't transfer the tickets unless they're resold through Ticketmaster. So then Ticketmaster reaps the fees on two different sales, plus the higher rate for the resale and a percentage of that higher rate for the resale. It goes on to say Ticketmaster knew it would not have sufficient inventory after the pre-sales, but still intentionally and knowingly misled millions of fans into believing they could purchase tickets during the general public on sale November 18th. On November 17th, Ticketmaster canceled the public sale, citing insufficient remaining ticket inventory. Based on information and belief, defendants' dominant market position has allowed Ticketmaster to charge super competitive ticketing fees for its primary ticketing services which can increase the price of a ticket to the consumer by 20 to 80% over the ticket's face value, 
which is typically set by the artist, in this case, Taylor Swift Management. Consumers have no choice but to pay these super competitive prices set by Ticketmaster. Defendant's dominant market position has allowed Ticketmaster to charge ticketing fees for its secondary ticketing services. The face value price of the secondary or tertiary, etc., ticket is set by the ticket seller. Ticketmaster can charge fees on both sides of the transaction. A ticket seller, therefore, must pay a set fee, often a percentage of the face value they set for the ticket sale, and the purchaser must also pay a set fee, often a percentage of the sale price, as well as other associated fees. So Ticketmaster is charging a fee on the original sale, then they are charging the seller and the buyer a fee on the secondary sale. So what incentive do they have to shut bots out of the pre-sale, knowing that the bots are going to want to resell all those tickets, and they're going to reap three times the amount of fees in addition to the higher rate. Where is their incentive to do what's right by the artist and by the fans? Because the artists have nowhere else to go and the fans have nowhere else to go, which is why monopolies are a problem. Except for the game, that's a lot of fun because the chat is so clever. To, to quote the chat, I understand why the Swifties have bad blood with Ticketmaster. And at this point, don't we all, don't we just all, please leave me a comment if you don't have beef with Ticketmaster and disclose whether or not you work for Ticketmaster or a subsidiary, because I have questions. Defendant's dominance over the primary and secondary ticketing service markets has allowed Ticketmaster to dramatically increase its revenues by allowing it to levy monopolistic fees on the second and third sale of the same tickets it sold in the primary sale. I mean, at least when you repurchase, like if you go to the secondary market to purchase a designer bag, for instance, you don't get taxed on it again. The initial purchaser buys the thing, pays sales tax, and then if they resell it, they can pick a variety of resale mechanisms from like a Facebook marketplace sale to something like a fashion file website, and they can set the price they want. And then whatever website they're using takes a fee to facilitate the transaction, and that's it but sales taxes aren't charged again. So how is Ticketmaster able to charge their own fees on every single resale to facilitate something that takes no physical work? It goes on to say, Ticketmaster has leveraged these effects into massive growth for its secondary ticketing service businesses, which has come to the expense of consumers because it has led to ever more super competitive ticketing fees for both primary and secondary ticketing services at major concert venues, including for virtually all venues hosting the Eras Tour. The policy and spirit of the California antitrust laws are to promote the free play of competitive market forces and the resulting lower prices to consumers. Ticketmaster is the dominant online venue for concert ticket presale, sale, and resale in the United States and has violated the policy spirit and letter of those laws by imposing agreements and policies at the retail and wholesale level that have prevented effective price competition across a wide swath of online ticket sales. Ticketmaster claims these agreements and policies improve customer experiences and keep ticket prices down. Will you let me know if, you're, if, if your experience has been improved? I mean, I do appreciate not getting up in the middle of the night to go like physically wait in line to buy tickets outside of a store. Um, however, at least then I got a wristband and I knew where I was in line and whether or not I had a shot at getting the tickets or not. You know, it's how I went to the weenie roast <laughs> every single year. But has your experience in ticket buying 
improved. This is in spite of the massive number of customer complaints Ticketmaster receives every day. The dramatic increase in ticket prices since Ticketmaster achieved a monopoly power and the excessive service fees Ticketmaster attaches that are far higher than service fees for any similar service in other markets. Ticketmaster is a monopoly that is only interested in taking every dollar it can from a captive public. I appreciate these lawyers. California antitrust laws are concerned with protecting market competition and preventing a single dominant company from setting overly high prices because of its lack of competitors. Here's the thing. I wouldn't mind paying more for tickets if that money was going to the artist, the road crew, those who are setting up the stage, doing the lighting, doing the sound. I have no problem paying to go to concerts. I have a problem when a large portion of what I am paying goes to fees. Artists make money, not necessarily on ticket sales, but also on merch sales, et cetera. But the artist is the one driving the traffic. Most of the money should go to the artist and then those who are facilitating the tour. Because touring is where a lot of artists have the opportunity to not have all that money subsumed by the record label. It's just so predatory, and it's really frustrating as someone who buys a lot of concert tickets. Ah! (laughs) This finishes up by saying, defendants have engaged in anti-competitive conduct to cement their dominance and to harm consumers in California, Washington, and across the United States. And, you know, before we get into the rest of this mess, I'm going to take a minute to shake it off and have a word from our sponsor. Thank you to our sponsor, Lomi, which is such an easy way to compost your food scraps at home into dirt that you can use in your garden, your houseplants, or anywhere you want to put dirt. Not only have I noticed how much using the Lomi has reduced our food waste, it's also reduced how our trash can smells. And when we have to travel, sometimes there are things you're not going to get to in your refrigerator and you don't want to just sit and stink up your fridge. It's been really nice to know that it's not going to waste even if we didn't get to it because it is being turned into dirt that is going on our trees outside. The thing I appreciate about Lomi is it's so small. With a push of a button, it quietly turns that into dirt because it's so quick that you can use it multiple times a day and it doesn't take up much space at all. So if you're ready to try it for yourself, head to lomi.com slash lawnard. Use promo code lawnard to get $50 off your Lomi. That's $50 off when you head to lomi.com slash lawnard and use code lawnard at checkout. Thank you so much, Lomi, for sponsoring this episode. So the case we just covered, the Stereoff case, is a case that is now in federal court in front of Judge Wu. The next action is the Barfus action, B-A-R-F-U-S-S, Barfus, the Barfus action. That action started in Los Angeles and has since been removed to federal court. So that action is now going to federal court to be heard in front of Judge Wu. Why do I keep bringing up Judge Wu? Because it is going to become very relevant as we get to the ruling over arbitration a little bit later in this episode. The 
Barfa's class action alleges a lot of the same conduct that we saw alleged in the Stereoff action that I just covered, the same allegations about the Taylor Swift Eras tour. And when that was initially filed in Los Angeles, I covered that in an episode I will link down below. What I wanted to go to in that case are some of the newer rulings made since it has gotten to federal court because it's been set on calendar for um, status conferences, but also for a motion to compel arbitration. The most recent order in the Barfus action is from October 10th, and it is a joint stipulation on the deadlines. These deadlines are going to be impacted by what's going on in other cases. This is this is the order so we know what's happening in this case. The court orders as follows. The parties shall submit separate simultaneous cross-submissions setting forth their respective positions at 5 p.m. October 23rd. The parties may file separate simultaneous responses to the cross-submissions at 5 p.m. on October 30th. The court shall hold a status conference on November 6th, subject to any other orders of the uh, that the court may issue in connection with any status conference or this joint request. The deadline for defendant's motion to compel arbitration shall be extended to November 20th or two weeks after the date of the status conference, whichever is later. This is from October 10th. Since October 10th, this particular judge has made some big rulings in another case regarding two motions to compel mediation. And that case has been going on for longer than any of these. It is not regarding the Taylor Swift tickets per se. It is regarding the overall monopoly of Ticketmaster. And because that case is earlier on and in front of this same judge, what's happening in that monopoly case is going to guide what will happen in some of these cases because it has to deal with the same essential allegations under a different fact pattern. And then there is a third case, the Donnelly case, that is alleging various violations of the Securities and Exchange Commission's laws about misleading statements by Ticketmaster, things that they have done that violate um, provisions from the, the DOJ, stuff going on with their stock prices. But in that case, they have put everything on hold pending the outcomes in the Barfus action in California over Ticketmaster or over Taylor Swift and Ticketmaster and the Monopoly lawsuit in front of Judge Wu. So they are very much mindful in the SEC case or the SEC allegations in that case that there is um, a lot to be done in this arbitration case that is pending before the court. I know it feels like there's a lot. I hope that I'm explaining it well, that all of these cases are kind of waiting to see what happens in the Hackman case, which is the monopoly case. So what I'm going to do is break down a little bit about that complaint and then what the judge is ruling with regard to arbitration. The position of this case I find to be very interesting. Here's why. The Hackman case was brought after another class action was forced into arbitration over the same allegations. It's almost the exact same plaintiffs, the same plaintiff's law firm, and very similar causes of action. 
as a case that was pushed to arbitration. Because that case went to arbitration, they brought another case after arbitration provisions changed. And that's what the heart of this lawsuit coming back up is. And that is also the foundation for why we're seeing so much litigation over whether or not Live Nation and Ticketmaster must go to arbitration in all these lawsuits because they have made motions to compel arbitration in these lawsuits. But Judge Wu's ruling saying that they are not going to be able to compel arbitration puts the plaintiffs in a very good position. All right. So this is a lawsuit from January 4th, 2022 from um, Quinn Emanuel, a very large large law firm with multiple offices, but this is out of their LA office because this is in the Central District of California. This is Heckman kind of et al. versus Live Nation Ticketmaster. And let's go to their preliminary statement of the case, which starts with, this is an unusual case. Uh Uh-huh. For years, defendants Ticketmaster and Live Nation have compelled consumer claims against them into arbitration, including a case brought by the undersigned attorneys in 2020, Oberstein versus Live Nation. Suddenly, on July 2nd, 2021, while the court in Oberstein was preparing its order on defendants' motion to compel arbitration, defendants drastically altered the arbitration agreement on which they had moved to compel arbitration. Although the old arbitration agreement, the JAMS agreement, selects JAMS, an established arbitration form, which JAMS, J-A-M-S, is a very established arbitration uh, form. A lot of contracts that you will read select JAMS as their mediator. So if arbitration is forced, then it automatically goes to JAMS. It goes under the JAMS rules and everything kind of goes away from there. But this says that the new agreement which is section 17 of the defendant's terms of use, designates new era ADR as the dispute resolution form. And then footnote one cites you to the updated terms of use. The new era ADR was launched in April 2021 with the mission of, quote, helping businesses settle legal disputes by creating rules that make sense for the business and also benefit law firms who are able to provide an improved client experience to businesses who handle a higher volume of cases. Why are you getting sued so much? New Era ADR advertises having launched with around 10 clients, i.e. businesses, who have designated New Era ADR as the form in nearly 700 contracts, which New Era expected will provide a pipeline of potential clients additional business down the road. Unlike traditional arbitral forms like courts setting filing fees for both complainant plaintiffs and respondent defendants, New Era ADR offers businesses a subscription model whereby the business keep New Era ADR on retainer. Footnote four. Each year, defendants pay New Era ADR a subscription fee. Defendants pay a subscription fee whether they are 100,000 consumer filings or no consumer filings against it. And once they pay the subscription fees, defendants require each consumer to pay the entirety of the additional per filing fee of $300. Normally, the party that requests the arbitration in the arbitration is the one that pays for the arbitration. New Era ADR shifts the per filing fee to the consumer of $300. So if you are looking at litigating 
with Ticketmaster over a few hundred dollars of fees, you might be paying $300 in a pre-filing fee to even get into arbitration to litigate over your fees. Do you see the problem? How much rage are you feeling right now? Scale of one to 10, how you doing, right? So new era ADR, if they take on Ticketmaster as a client and Ticketmaster has hundreds or thousands of people pushing into arbitration, then they are getting $300 per filing fee from the consumer, not the business, for each arbitration. When one of many aggravated consumers files a dispute against defendants with new era ADR, the consumer has no choice but to submit to batched arbitration proceedings. Batched. Stacks of arbitration. On the one hand, the new era agreement requires a consumer to bring claims, and this is an all bold quote, only in an individual capacity and bars any purported class or representative proceeding. So you can't bring in class action. I'm reading it like that because it is in all caps. I feel yelled at. On the other hand, once multiple consumers file a case against defendants, new era ADR will group their cases together for any reason it deems appropriate, including the consumer's counsel of choice. These batched cases will then be assigned to a single decision maker chosen under unfair procedures that abridge consumers' rights to select neutral decision makers and that later filing consumers will not be able to participate in at all. The decision maker will then preside over the selection and litigation of a few bellwether cases during which all other consumers will be forced to wait with no progress on their cases, and after which the outcome of those bellwether cases will be forced on all consumers. So it doesn't matter what the facts of your case are. Your case is predicated on somebody else's case. So they are just clearinghousing arbitration, which is not the point of arbitration provisions. The new era agreement thus requires consumers to engage in a novel and one-sided process that is tailored to disadvantage consumers. These are the changes that they made before the Taylor Swift Eras Tour went on sale. These are the arbitration provisions that Ticketmaster is attempting to push all of the Taylor Swift litigations into. It goes on to allege, even if consumers prevail under the new era agreement, and even if the consumers have a statutory right to attorney's fees and costs, the new era agreement strips that right away, leaving it up to the unfairly chosen decision maker's discretion to award fees and costs, quote, as necessary. The new era agreement skews the odds so egregiously in defendants' favor through its defense-biased provisions and is imposed in such a procedurally unfair matter that it is premeditated with unconscionability to the far greater degree than the prior JAMS agreement. Setting aside the new era agreement, the core of the dispute has not changed since Oberstein. Plaintiffs bring this class action against defendants under Sections 1 and 2 of the Sherman Act to recover damages they suffered from paying super competitive prices on primary and secondary ticket purchases from Ticketmaster's online platforms. Now, I know during food court, I always joke about like, you know, some of these class actions, would I really be mad enough? 
In this one, a hundred percent, like a thousand percent. Yes, I'm mad enough. The amount of Ticketmaster fees I have paid, like a hundred percent mad enough. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Like ah, like all. For decades, Ticketmaster and its predecessor, Ticketmaster Entertainment Inc., has dominated primary ticketing services for live music events at major concert venues throughout the nation. Today, Ticketmaster has a market share exceeding 70% of primary ticketing services for major concert venues, which has come about in part by virtue of the web of long-term exclusive dealing agreements and various anti-competitive acts detailed herein and provided Ticketmaster with decades of market dominance. By defendant's own count, Ticketmaster provides primary ticketing services to over 12,000 venues, with more added each year. As the Department of Justice's Antitrust Division noted in 2010, and as public facts from subsequent litigation have demonstrated, there are high barriers to entry in the market for primary ticketing services for major concert venues, including, among other things, the long-term exclusive dealing agreements mentioned above. These barriers and defendants' many anti-competitive acts have assured the Ticketmaster's market power has long been and remains impregnable. As a result, over 70% of tickets for major concert venues in the U.S. are sold through Ticketmaster's online platforms. Despite that, as it's done for years, Ticketmaster charges super competitive fees made possible by its dominant market positioning. But Ticketmaster is not just a standalone company. It merged with Live Nation in 2010, and today those entities jointly form the world's largest and most powerful live music company. In the United States alone, Live Nation Entertainment is by far the largest and most dominant concert promoter for major concert venues, with a roster of clients that includes the vast majority of top touring acts in the world. And Ticketmaster provides the majority of ticketing for those top grossing tours. As the former chief economist of both the FTC and the antitrust division summarized in a recently concluded lawsuit, and then they went through Ticketmaster's U.S. share of Polestar Top 2015 North America tours. Taylor Swift, 77% of the events, 74% of shows, 84% of tickets sold, 84% of total gross. And then it went down the line. Taylor Swift, Kenny Chesney, Garth Brooks, Rolling Stones, Kevin Hart, U2, one, where is Dave Matthews? <laughs> Wait, number 22. They're down there. I'm reading the list on 22. Emily, why are you reading the list? Because I'm curious. I mean, rock on, Kevin Hart, with your 2015 tour. You two, One Direction, Luke Bryan, Billy Joel, Shania Twain, Fleetwood Mac, Juan Gabriel, ACDC, Grateful Dead, Trans-Siberian Orchestra, which I very much want to see live. God, Emily, stop making a list to go see things live. My brain is like, I want to go see all of these shows. Trans-Siberian Orchestra is actually coming to Tennessee in December. Okay, wait, keep going, keep going. Zach Brown Band, Cirque du Soleil's Curios, Maroon 5, Madonna, Elton John, Chris Brown, Dave Matthews Band, Def Leppard, Foo Fighters, and Ed Sheeran. My beloved, my beloved Dave Matthews Band, Ticketmaster accounted for 91.8% of their revenue. 91% of venues and 91.7% of tickets sold. Those were for 2015 by the way. The Grateful Dead was on their Fear Thee Well tour in, in 2015. They continued that until 2023. Anyway, I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to stop making plans to go see concerts. I'm going to stop making plans to go see concerts. It goes on to continue to detail the same type of issues 
from Ticketmaster that we've seen in the other lawsuits. They have the share of the primary market. They have the share of the secondary market. They have these super long exclusive contracts with venues. They also, through Live Nation, have the acts in long, you know, exclusive contracts that they have to sell their tickets through Ticketmaster or through Live Nation. Uh, Since shortly after the Live Nation Entertainment and Ticketmaster merged in 2010, defendants regularly threatened venues with less or no Live Nation entertainment tours if they did not select Ticketmaster as their primary ticket service provider. And since Live Nation has all the large acts signed into exclusive contracts, if you piss off Ticketmaster, you don't get the Live Nation shows. Right? The practice was apparently so pervasive and insidious that as the DOJ put it, quote, the venues throughout the United States have come to expect that refusing to contract with Ticketmaster will result in the venue receiving fewer Live Nation concerts or none at all. Given the paramount importance of live event revenues to a venue's bottom line, this is a loss most venues can ill afford to risk. This practice, which was until recently invisible to concert-going consumers because consumers had no reason to know how venues contract for primary ticketing services and because defendants affirmatively concealed behavior, went unchecked for so long that defendants recently became brazen in their conduct. Live Nation Entertainment's CEO and president, Michael Rapino, publicly admitted on information and belief for the first time in September 2019 that if a venue wants to use a ticketing service provider other than Ticketmaster, the venue, quote, won't be in the best economic place anymore because we don't hold the revenue. In other words, Mr. Rapino indicated that consistent with the DOJ's recently made public-facing factual findings, Live Nation Entertainment would not route tours through the venue in the future because Ticketmaster does not provide primary ticketing services there. This threat was not lost on any serious industry participant. And that was in 2019, before 2020 took a hit to everybody. So with the continued outlining of the monopoly lawsuit and the shift in arbitration provisions, shifting the burden of arbitration, and then causing, you know, one person's arbitration to to decide the outcome of another arbitration so that that arbitration company, and I'm sure there are more lawsuits over it, that that arbitration company is somehow now like wholesaling arbitrations surely to their own profit. That has come at the ire of Judge Wu. So we need to take a look at two rulings from Judge Wu. The first ruling is from August 10th, 2023, and this is the court's final ruling on defendant's motion to compel arbitration. Because in this case, Ticketmaster was like, yo, they've already sued us. We changed our arbitration provisions. You compelled us to arbitration and it should go to arbitration. The judge has thoughts. Introduction, and this is from the court's order. Plaintiffs Heckman et al., brought this putative class action against defendants Live Nation and Ticketmaster, alleging various anti-competitive practices in violation of the Sherman Act. Plaintiffs claim that they have suffered damages from paying super competitive fees on primary and secondary ticket purchases from Ticketmaster's online platform. On March 8, 2022, defendants moved to compel arbitration, arguing that this case is virtually identical to another case against Live Nation and Ticketmaster, which this court has previously sent to arbitration. That's the Oberstein case. Among the apparent differences between this case and the Oberstein case is that in July 2021, 
after the Oberstein complaint was filed, defendants updated their terms of use to select new arbitration provider with new arbitration procedures. Whereas the terms of use at issue in Oberstein selected JAMS, the updated TOU selected new era ADR. And then the footnote lines out what we have just discussed. Unlike JAMS, New Era offers standardized procedures for administrating mass arbitrations, which defendants assert, quote, facilitates the arbitration of mass individual consumer claims effectively and fairly and thereby promotes arbitration. Footnote four. Defendants seem to be asserting that promoting arbitration is in and of itself a good thing, but there are various types of arbitration, some of which are not necessarily viewed with favor. For example, in Lamps Plus Inc. versus Varelia, the Supreme Court noted various differences between the individualized form of arbitration envisioned by the Federal Arbitration Act and class arbitration, and seemingly disparaged the latter in observing that in individualized arbitration parties forego the procedural rigor and appellate review of the courts in order to realize the benefits of private dispute resolution, lower cost, greater efficiency and speed, and the ability to choose expert adjudicators to resolve specialized disputes class arbitration lacks those benefits. It, quote, sacrifices the principal advantage of arbitration, its informality, and makes the process slower, more costly, and more likely to generate procedural morass than final judgment. Indeed, we recognize that just last term with this class arbitration, the virtues Congress originally saw in arbitration, its speed and simplicity and inexpensiveness would be shorn away and arbitration will wind up looking like the litigation it was meant to displace. The court is just like all the sass. The court is bringing all of the sass from the Supreme Court being like, no, no, class arbitration is not a good thing. So you see early on in this ruling where the court is coming from, the defendants have said, this promotes arbitration. And the court's like, those words don't mean what you think they do. Plaintiffs, on the other hand, believe New Era's mass arbitration procedures require, quote, consumers to engage in a novel and one-sided process that is tailored to disadvantaged consumers. Tailored like made to, not tailored like swift. According to plaintiffs, defendants' selection of the new, I keep saying the New Era, of New Era in the terms of use, skews the odds so egregiously in defendants' favor through its defense-biased positions that the arbitration agreement is rendered unconscionable. Before filing an opposition to defendant's motion, plaintiffs sought discovery related to the validity, unconscionability, and severability of the dispute resolution provisions in the TOU. On June 9th, the court granted the request. The parties completed such discovery on January 27th. Plaintiffs filed their opposition on March 22nd. Defendants filed the reply on April 18th in advance of the May 1st hearing on the motion. So this motion was heard on May 1st. This ruling is coming out on August 10th. The court issued a tentative ruling which posed a number of questions for the parties to discuss at oral argument and reserved decision on the motion pending additional agreement. Sorry, pending additional argument. Following oral argument, the court requested and the parties submitted supplemental briefing. The court held a second hearing on the motion on July 13th. An additional round of supplemental briefing followed. And the reason I went through that is because I absolutely wanted you to, to know how much this judge had gone through. A round of briefing, a round of oral argument, another round of briefing, another round of oral argument, and a final round of briefing to dial down these questions because it is addressing this new take on arbitration. 
background, this case is one of several consumer class actions alleging Ticketmaster and Live Nation engaged in anti-competitive conduct. And then they go through the overseen case. We've gone through a bit of that history by reading the complaint. On July 2nd, 2021, while Ticketmaster and Live Nation's motion to compel arbitration in overseen was pending, defendants updated their terms of use and selected New Era as the default arbitration provider. New Era was founded in 2020 and launched its ADR services in April 2021. New Era first reached out to defendants' counsel, Latham and Watkins, to pitch its services on May 4th, 2021. At that time, New Era had not yet conducted any arbitrations and had not finalized its rules governing mass arbitration procedures. The parties herein disagree about the nature of the initial conversations between New Era and Latham and the extent to which defendants and Latham had input on or helped share New Era's rules or helped shape New Era's rules. However, on June 21st, 2021, New Era executed a subscription agreement with Live Nation as its first subscriber. And later that same day, New Era published its ADR rules. Here's the concern of me and of the court, and it seems like of the plaintiffs. Did this law firm that represents Live Nation help form the rules that the arbitration was going to follow to sign up Live Nation to a subscription with their service? Is this Live Nation picking their own rules for arbitration? It's bananas. Plaintiffs allege that New Era was created with a decidedly pro-business mission to help business settle legal disputes by creating rules that make sense for businesses and that also benefit law firms who are able to provide an improved client experience to businesses. To that end, New Era offers businesses faced with large numbers of arbitration claims two primary advantages over traditional arbitration providers. First, in addition to a standard pricing option whereby the company pays 9,500 and the consumer pays 500 per arbitration, New Era offers a subscription option whereby the company pays an annual subscription fee and the claimant pays a $300 filing fee. Following the defendant's alteration of the terms of use in July 2021, each of the named plaintiffs purchased tickets on defendant's sites between four and eight separate times. To make those purchases, plaintiffs were first required to create and then sign into their accounts, whereupon they were notified Quote, by continuing past this page, you agree to the terms of use and understand the information will be used as described in our privacy policy. Upon clicking the terms of use text, users are redirected to the terms of use. A screenshot of the sign-in page is shown below. And that is the Ticketmaster sign-in page. To complete a ticket purchase, users were also required to check the box acknowledging they had read and accepted the current terms of use, an example of such notices below. In addition, on virtually every page of defendant's website, users were notified by continuing past this page, you agree to our terms of use. Legal standard. The Federal Arbitration Act reflects a liberal federal policy favoring arbitration, AT&T Mobility LLC versus Concepcion. A party aggrieved by the refusal of another party to arbitrate under a written agreement may petition the court for an order compelling arbitration as provided for in the party's agreement. I'm not going to get through the legal standard more because I want to get to the court's discussion. But before we get to the court's discussion, we need to take a break. Thank you to our sponsor, Shopify. So many of you have been heading to the Law Nerd Shop to pick up our new We Live Here Now merch. All of that process is made possible by Shopify. Shopify is the global 
e-commerce platform for all stages of your business. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits or shopping for merch at the Law Nerd Shop, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from all-in-one e-commerce to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling. Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average when compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of e-commerce in the U.S., and it's the platform behind brands like Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs like me at every size over 175 countries. Plus, their award-winning help and support is there for you every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. If you're ready to try it for yourself today, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lawnard. Remember, that's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lawnard to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lawnard. Let's get back to today's show. In the discussion, the court says plaintiffs do not appear to contest that they repeatedly agreed to defendants' terms of use prior to purchasing tickets on defendants' websites, nor do they take issue with this and other courts' findings that defendants' websites provide users significant notice of the terms of use. Instead, the gravamen of plaintiffs' argument is that defendants' selection of New Era as the arbitration provider, along with its concomitant procedures, renders the arbitration and delegation clauses with the TOU unconscionable. Did I have to go to dictionary.com to look at concomitant? Yes. Am I confident that I've pronounced it right? No. But are we doing a word of the day? Yes. Your word of the day is concomitant. It means existing or occurring with something else as a related feature or circumstance, accompanying, existing or occurring at the same time, kind of like concurrent, but not concurrent concomitant. So there we go. We've had a word of the day. That was new for me. All right, federal judge. Thank you for busting out your thesaurus for us instead of saying concurrent, but maybe it's more specific. It's very precise wielding of language. Plaintiffs maintain that defendants faced with a mounting number of consumers pursuing individual arbitration against them in connection with ongoing antitrust litigation abruptly switched from jams, which did not provide for a grouping of individual consumer claims, to a provider defendants knew would be beholden to their interest, and that the creation of New Era's batched bellwether case resolution set of rules is manifestly unfair to plaintiffs and other actual or potential claimants. Here's the thing. When you have to do individual arbitration, if you have thousands of litigants, you could tie Ticketmaster up in arbitration for ages, and they're paying the fees on each additional arbitration, which might push them to a position where they want to settle. If they are able to batch these in arbitration, but the plaintiff can't batch them, the plaintiff can't bring them as a class, nay, nay. <laughs> the defendant gets to batch them on their end, so it saves them time but doesn't benefit the plaintiff. You can see where the problem is for the plaintiffs. Moving on in this ruling, the court addresses procedural unconscionability. As previously noted, to prove unconscionability, the plaintiffs must show that the delegation clause was both procedurally and substantively unconscionable. The delegation to arbitration is what they're talking about here. The procedural component of unconscionability focuses on factors of oppression and surprise. 
oppression results where there is no real negotiation of contract terms because of unequal bargaining power. Surprise involves the extent to which the supposedly agreed upon terms of the bargain are hidden in a prolix printed form drafted by the party seeking to enforce the disputed terms. So the the oppression is in that it's an adhesion contract. Like you can't buy a ticket on Ticketmaster without agreeing. The surprise is the way it's buried. For the reasons discussed in the court's tentative ruling and on the record during oral argument and further elaborated upon below, the court would find that the arbitration agreement and more specifically the delegation clause contained therein is procedurally unconscionable to an extreme degree. As a preliminary matter, the Ninth Circuit has held that the elements of oppression and surprise are both satisfied by a finding that the arbitration provision was presented on a take-it-or-leave-it basis, that it was oppressive due to the inequality of bargaining power that resulted in no real negotiation and an absence of meaningful choice. Is there an absence of meaningful choice when you need to buy a ticket to a concert? Yes. It goes on to say the court finds both elements present here. The agreement is certainly contained within a contract of adhesion presented to ticket purchasers on a take-it-or-leave-it basis, and there were no opportunity for consumers to negotiate individual terms. As to unequal bargaining power, it's hard to imagine a relationship with a greater power imbalance than between defendants and its consumers, given defendants' market dominance in the ticket service industries, because defendants are often, in effect, the only ticketing game in town, would-be concert goers are forced to accept defendants' TOU in full or else forgo the opportunity to attend events altogether. The court would find that the elements of procedural unconscionability are satisfied on these grounds here. Here, however, the manner in which defendants impose their changes to the terms of use evinces an extreme amount of procedural unconscionability far above and beyond a run-of-the-mill contract of adhesion case. Specifically, the TOU were amended to bring about significant change to the party's agreement, two, unilaterally, three, in the midst of ongoing litigation, four, to be applied retroactively to already accrued claims, five, without giving any notice to existing consumers about this major change, and six, while burying the true nature of this change in new eras difficult to parse rules. Defendants dispute either the validity or legal import of each of these facts. So what the court just smacked down in a very thickly written way was that there is no one more unequal than a concert or would-be concert goer and ticket master. You do not have any bargaining power. You have to agree to this contract, which is why it's a contract of adhesion. You have to agree to the terms of use to buy the ticket. You can't negotiate it. And then they laid out the way that that change was made as being shady. You changed, you Ticketmaster changed this to the detriment of the consumer while you were in litigation, made it retroactive with no notice. The court is not having this at all. The uh, unconscionable to an extreme degree lets us know how the court's feeling about this. Getting to the summary, because this is a 31-page ruling and I want to make sure that we aren't here for seven hours. Summary. In sum, the court finds that the terms of use and new era's rules contain several elements supporting a finding 
of substantive unconscionability, specifically the mass arbitration protocol, including the application of precedent from the bellwether decisions to other claimants, plus the lack of corresponding procedural safeguards to the lack of a right to discovery and other procedural limitations, three, the arbiter selection provisions, and four, the limited right of appeal. Each of these elements is present with respect to the delegation clause specifically as it applies to the threshold issues of arbitrability. Any of these elements standing alone might not suffice to invalidate the agreement. However, when viewed together and alongside the extremely high degree of procedural unconscionability present here, the court finds the agreement unconscionable. So the court will not be enforcing the arbitration provision because it finds that provision unconscionable. So based on the foregoing discussion, the court denies the motion to compel arbitration. Ticketmaster tried to shift their arbitration provisions and then retroactively force plaintiffs into that new agreement when the court in the previous case compelled arbitration. So this case came back and Ticketmaster was like, just compel arbitration. And the court's like, hold up a second. What have you done? And then the court looked at the new arbitration provision and went, no way. No way. I am not compelling arbitration under these new terms. And Ticketmaster has made motions to compel arbitration in the other cases that are pending before this judge. Can we see how this is going to go? Because I can. Because all those other cases were brought in 2022 and the tickets were purchased after this change in 2021. There is another order in this case that came down on October 19th. And we're going to look at that order real quick. This is a minute order. Plaintiff's motion to enjoin imposing a modified arbitration clause on antitrust claims in this case, and defendant's motion for a stay pending appeal. Because guess what defendants are going to do? Right, they're going to appeal this to the Ninth Circuit. Plaintiff's motion to enjoin imposing a modified arbitration clause on antitrust claims in this case, and defendant's motion for a stay pending appeal came for hearing on October 19th. Prior thereto, the court had issued an amended tentative ruling indicating that it was inclined to grant the motion to stay as seemingly required under Coinbase Inc. versus Bolesky and to deny the motion to enjoin as per the discussion to stay proceedings under Coinbase. Having heard the arguments of counsel and in light of the prior filings in this matter, the court adopts the amended tentative ruling as its final decision on the two motions. Additionally, on October 17th, plaintiff's motion to expedite the appeal of this court's denial of the motion to compel arbitration was granted by the United States Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit. One, with a streamlined briefing schedule where the reply brief would be filed by January 3rd, 2024. Two, notice that extensions of time would not be granted absent extraordinary and compelling circumstances. Three, with the appeal being placed on the next available calendar after the completion of briefing. In light thereof, the court sets a status conference for March Fourth, the parties are to file a joint status report by February 28th. So this case is stayed because it is now pending appeal. The Supreme Court issued a ruling 
covering this matter when a denial of a arbitration was issued by the court. So a defendant moved to put a case into arbitration and the court denied that arbitration and that denial of arbitration was appealed. The case has stayed. This makes logical sense to me because why would you continue going through the litigation process in court if this is ultimately going to end up in arbitration? So if you're appealing to push it into arbitration, why waste the court time, energy, and money to continue to litigate the case that might not ultimately end up there. So logically, it makes sense to me that this would wait. Other cases have filed their motions to stay, their cases and joint motions to stay, to wait to see what the Ninth Circuit did. So I imagine we will see that in the Taylor Swift suits as well, though the only case so far that's filed that is the one regarding the SEC. The other cases just had scheduling done at the beginning of October. This literally just came down a couple of days ago. So I think we will see all of these actions stay in California, meaning pause in California until the Ninth Circuit rules, which is going to be sometime in Q1 or Q2 of 2024. At that time, we will peek back in to see. But what I thought was important today is to talk about the absolute shadiness of Ticketmaster shifting these arbitration provisions. Normally, we're not talking about arbitration provisions at length here, but what in the world are you doing, Ticketmaster? I also think it's something that impacts all of us, or at least all of us that want to go to concerts or want to be able to take our kids to concerts and want to be able to have that live music experience. It impacts artists in a negative way. It impacts communities in a negative way. Live music, I think, is such an incredible thing. Live music puts you together with a group of people who love the music you love to be in the presence of the artists that you love and incredible musicians. And Ticketmaster is fucking it up and I'm pissed. So. Live music is needed. Live music is so deeply valuable. And Ticketmaster has seen that and has sought to profit off of it on every side of the thing, holding people into draconian contracts that are not good for the artists, are not good for the venues, and are not good for the public. So we're going to keep covering these lawsuits. I'm going to try, I was going to say, just shake off my anger. But I need another, I need another metaphor. <laughs> Ticketmaster, look what you made me do. I am fucking pissed. But I don't want to take it out on the bands I love. And that's the catch-22, right? You don't want to not go support live music. But you don't want to support Ticketmaster and Live Nation. And it puts you in a really difficult position. So. The Swifties have bad blood with Ticketmaster, and I support them 100%. Law nerds, I can't wait to hear your thoughts on all of this. Do you love live music? Tell me what concerts you enjoy seeing down below. And, and maybe we'll just need to see all of the artists being like, forget it, I'll film a concert, I'll put it in movie theaters, and we'll go have that in-person experience together. And we'll pay the movie theaters instead. It's not quite the same. 
Maybe we'll just find alternative venues. I have a large backyard. Let's go. Let's go. With all of that, y'all, thank you for being here. Thank you for being a law nerd. Say it with me. May your Wi-Fi be strong. May your toilet paper be plentiful. May Ticketmaster fees not get you down. May your family be well. And may the odds be ever in your favor. Law nerds, I will see you in the next one. You can stay up to date with everything I'm covering on our free iOS and Android app at lawnerdapp.com or search your app store for Lawnerd. And you can also follow me on social media at the Emily D. Baker. Remember, I stream on YouTube on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I recap all of that for you in quick bits on Monday. And of course, The Emily Show drops on Wednesdays. Thanks for being a Lawnerd.